Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Omar Khan today. And this episode, you're going to learn a lot about how to understand opportunities, how to evaluate opportunities, how the greatest investors across the world, how do they think about money? And how can you apply those thinkings to your own life, to your own business? How can you expand your social circles? How can you find and optimize opportunities in your life? How can you understand how to model? How can you understand different opportunities and whether or not you should be saying yes or whether you should be saying no? And how can you can apply a lot of thinking towards really massive growth in your life? So today's episode is phenomenal. And I'm your host, Tyler Chesser. I'm a professional real estate investor and high performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise a bar together. And before we dive in today, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, subscribe or follow the podcast on whichever platform you like to listen or watch podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, you name it, YouTube, we are everywhere. And of course, I didn't mention 15 different platforms that we're on, but wherever it is that you like to listen or watch podcasts, give us a follow, give us a rating, a review, and uh, share this with a friend because the fee is to share this with one person. If you want to be an overachiever, all we ask is that you share this with multiple people because the only way that we can grow is if we all pay this forward and uh, we want to continue to bring massive value to you on a daily basis. And the way that we can continue to bring phenomenal guests, phenomenal conversations and insights and applicable insights and wisdom is if you pay it forward and if you share this with someone that you care about. So we invite you to do that right now. Go ahead and grab that link and share this with someone that you care about, someone maybe that you just met, uh, someone that you work with, someone that you'd like to work with and tell them what it is that you love about Elevate Podcast. Encourage them to check it, check it out. And without further ado, I would like to dive in. I'd like to introduce you to Omar Khan, my guest today, who is a CFA charter holder, who has 10 years of investing experience across real estate and commodities. And he has advised on over $3.7 billion of capital financing and M&A transactions. He's syndicated large multi-million dollar deals across the United States. He's advised high net worth advisors and entrepreneurs on real estate portfolio allocations. And last but not least, uh, at least in terms of my high level description of this phenomenal individual, is he has been a global citizen. He's lived in Dubai, Toronto, Calgary, and Dallas, Texas. So without further ado, please enjoy this phenomenal conversation with Omar Khan. Omar Khan, my man, how are you doing? Hey, Tyler, what's going on, man? 
Man, it's so good to be with you. Uh, I know that I'm going to laugh. That's that's one thing I know that's going to happen when we're together. I don't know what else. I don't know if we're going to bring any value to anyone other than laughter, perhaps. But maybe if we're lucky, we'll dive in and we'll provide yeah. tremendous value today. But of course, all kidding aside, man, I'd love to dive into this conversation with you. I'd love to introduce you to Elevate Nation because, you know, I'm getting to know you, but I think today is going to be a huge step, not only in our friendship, but obviously in terms of how we can impact many other people. So with all that said, let's dive into this conversation. One of the things that I think is really interesting way to start these type of podcasts is to, is to ask my guests, how would they describe themselves in the way that the people that know them best would describe them, whether it's your family members, your closest friends, like what would they say about Omar Khan? I find my wife would call me annoying. Uh, uh, (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes not always Uh, look, it's a persistent or no intense, intense, which I, I never really thought it was a bad thing or it's it's a negative connotation. But a lot of my friends have said that at various times that you're very intense. But I think people confuse intensity, at least in my case, I'm thinking people confuse intensity with just wanting to get done, right? Like if you have a task, I'm the kind of guy, you know, if I've got seven days to do a task, I've always been like this. You know, instead of kind of, you know, there's some people who are very wise and they'll do it like, hey, seven days, I'll do it one seventh and I'll get to the end and I'm right. done. And there's some people who are completely procrastinators who do it right at the last possible second. And I'm the type of guy, I, I would kill myself doing it in the first two, three days when I don't, you know, it's just like, I'll do like way more than I have to. It's because at the back end, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to be like dense. I don't want to, I just want to coast into my, like, you know, the finish line. Okay. So I'm the exact same way. Like I do not like procrastinating because it's like, man, that's such this, the best work does not come out of me. If I wait until the last minute, it's like, uh, let's go ahead and start chipping away at this thing. Yeah, but I also can't do it. Like most tasks, I can't just do them like one seventh, one seventh, one seventh every day. Right. And I'm just so like, Oh, it's not done. It's not done. I gotta go finish. It. <laughs> so have you always been, I'm, I'm imagining that you've always been that way, even like growing up, like school it and all that kind of stuff. On, Yeah. It depends on what, what the task is, but predominantly as I'm growing older, that part of my personality is, uh, is, is a lot more pro- pre- prominent. Is that the right word? Yeah. Prominent, it's a lot yeah. more <laughs> prominent. And I mean, I've always been of the opinion that, uh, it's okay. You just have to lean into your strengths. What, or rather mm. what you perceive are your strengths. And as long as you're not a maniac, Right. <laughs> it's okay because, you know, everybody's different. The point is, as long as we get the work done within, with the least amount of, you know, collateral damage. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, like just even describing your own personality traits and being more aware of what's becoming more prominent and otherwise, because there's just such a, con- there's a continual self-discovery process. I think that we go on, whether we're entrepreneurs, investors, uh, or just people in general, if you want to continue to go to that next level, it's about understanding what's coming out predominantly and surrounding yourself with people who can complement those strengths in, in their own capacities. But man, let's let's go back to your upbringing a bit because I want to understand you know where that personality trait came from, whether it's intensity, persistence, and otherwise. But I want to get more of a sense of who you are because of or, or perhaps where you came from. So give us a sense a little bit of your upbringing and what life was like growing up. Oh, look, my life, I'm very blessed. I mean, to date, I've never wanted for anything substantial in my life. I mean, I was very blessed. Uh, We were relatively affluent growing up. Uh, My family's entrepreneurial. We've owned businesses a couple of generations, all of that sort of stuff. Some, most of us have made the transition from owning businesses to being full-time investors or having holdings that result in 
some money coming through the door, right? So in that regard, I was very lucky that I grew up in a relatively affluent household. And I don't, I don't mean like just money because, you know, as a business family with all people who, who have business families, there's lots of times when you're up and lots of times when you're down, right? Over the course of like 20, 30 years. And if you're good with your money, then times when you're down, you've kind of saved for the rainy day, right? That's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. But I'm talking more with regards to access to opportunities or access to the right, or, or enough um, high achieving people that you you meet them socially, you know of them, you, you know, they're family friends, they're part of your family. And just because of that, you just know of the opportunities that exist out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times it's just awareness of opportunities more than, uh, you know, you availing every single opportunity. Right. You just have to know things exist out there. Right. So your horizons are expanded enough. So in my case, I was very lucky that our professional and personal networks, family wise and otherwise, are global. Right. In the sense that uh, they're in many different countries. They're pretty much all of them are high achievers. So in that regard, when I meant like affluent, I didn't mean just money wise. I meant like opportunity wise and thinking wise and travel wise and exposure wise. So I was very lucky that way. And, and not, nothing to do with my own level of intelligence there. That's just sheer dumb luck. And uh, then I'm very lucky now that I realized, you know, when I talk to people that, you know, uh, substantially speaking, there were no family issues. Like I had two very loving parents. Uh, Family-wise, it was all fine, very stable. Even when the time, now I realize this, you know, now that I have kids and I realize I'm running my own business, that, you know, even in the times when business was really bad for a few years in between, my parents, uh, because we always had maintained a reasonable lifestyle, we could have spent more money and had a flashy lifestyle, but it's kind of like old school money, right? You kind of have like an under the radar sort of lifestyle. That as kids, we, we didn't really feel like, oh, we don't have money. Mm-hmm. Or we don't have enough. So th- I'm very lucky for that because now, for instance, it's it's very interesting that even when I was working in the investment bank and all, I would see guys who were my juniors, as an example, they would get their bonus or they would get their money. Or even I'd see my bosses who were managing directors and all get substantial amounts of money and they'd be rich one year and poor the next. <laughs> right? Because, you know, like I, I knew, for instance, when I lived in Calgary, one of my juniors, I knew how much bonus this guy was getting because I was signing off on it with my boss. And he had an $800,000 house. He had a $20,000 like heavy bike, right? Like a motorcycle, right? And you can only really ride a motorcycle for like three months, two and a half months out of the year <laughs> in Calgary anyways, right? right? He had a huge truck. And I would think to myself, I was like, dude, I mean, none of my business. I don't really care. For right? sure. But I'm like, bro, I make way more <laughs> money than you. I can't afford this shit. What's up? <laughs> and it's not like you're coming from family money, right? Where you've got a trust fund sending you whatever, $20,000 a month. Right. That's so it's funny. That's sort of a deal, right? So I'm very lucky that my parents gave us that perspective that, look, money is important. Don't get me wrong. You know, because I always laugh and people say, oh, money's not that important. I was like, have you tried being poor? <laughs> pretty freaking important, man, in the world we live in. But money is not everything, right? I mean, they give us a love for culture. They give us a love for books. They exposed us to so many opportunities in the world. And then as a result of that, <clears throat> we could kind of pick and choose our battles, right? Yeah, man, that's really insightful. And actually, it's a it's a really 
important distinction is that money is important, but it's not everything, right? And I think that's why many of the listeners, most of the listeners are involved in real estate as an investor in some capacities because they realize that obviously money is important, right? You, you can't yeah. just trade your time for more money. No, but when um, people tell me money is not important, I just have to laugh at them. I was like, dude, no rich person has ever said that. <laughs> or, or only substantially rich people say it. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you got $5 billion. Yeah. No shit money is not important to you. <laughs> right. Because you don't yeah. have to earn it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that's really interesting. So thinking about your upbringing and, and those sort of principles that were instilled within you in terms of, all right, let's let's live this under the radar lifestyle. But let's it's more like, thoughtful. you know, you learn from the process. It's not like somebody's telling you to do this. You just learn from observing sort of deal, right? Yeah. yeah it's not I, like somebody saying, hey, go do this. It's more like, hey, you just see it and you just kind of assume that's the way things are. So if you were to look back, I mean, who, who was it that instilled those values and that culture within your family? Because at some point there was a generational switch, right? There was a, there was a, yeah, a fork in the really road say, that was I taken. I can't really say that because I mean, my parents were born into similar circumstances as I was, and my grandparents were born into similar esque circumstances. So I'm sure there's a switch. Yeah. Obviously there is a switch at some Nobody's point. Just, no, no, no. There's nobody who goes up, up forever or down forever. That's just right. not possible. Right. Right. Uh, so obviously there was a switch, but a, I don't know that switch and B, mm. I also don't know because when I look at my wider family, obviously there's some people who are way more affluent and some people way less affluent, but it's not like, and now I realize this, right. Especially in the business that I am, I look around, it's not like, Growing up, I knew of family members who were, let's assume, let's put it this way, poor in mm -hmm. the conventional meaning of the word. But there's a culture that's been established within your family, which I think is really interesting. But that so I don't know about, right? My yeah. point is because I don't know about it. I, it's very hard for me to pinpoint and say, well, that's how it happened. Sure. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. But you're obviously carrying the ball forward in, in a phenomenal way. So I'm looking forward to diving into that story. But tell me a little bit about your background prior to getting into real estate, because you were just mentioning about investment banking, but just give me a sense of where you took sort of, you know, adolescence to professional life. Oh, look, so I, I partied a lot during college. I had a really good time because <laughs> I was doing that on my parents' time. Oh, right? um, so Omar, I would party easy. with you easily. No, it, easily. it was way, and look, I also lived in Canada where everything is legal. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to go into details. Every single thing is legal, right? And, and, and it's a very socially liberal country, so nobody gives a shit, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. As long as you're not a nuisance, nobody cares, right? Right. So great time. I mean, my grades were good. Don't get me wrong. I made them, <laughs> so my grades were always good, okay? So uh, did that, but once I graduated from college, I, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just kind of like bummed, I mean, bummed around and I didn't, I wasn't broke or anything. I worked in finance, so it was okay, right? But I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then a few years after that, I moved from, I was in Toronto. I moved from Toronto to Calgary. I was doing pretty decently. I was doing some M&A stuff and all of that sort of work. And then after that, what happened is that, I mean, my whole point was that a lot of my friends were doing specialist type work, like, uh, you know, something in finance or something in engineering. It was very specialist, like a narrow path they were going down. And the only thing I knew was that, look, I don't want to go down something that narrow, right? That's the only thing. I want a wide variety of experiences and I don't know what the answer is. And maybe I would never know. And maybe in 20 years, I'd be like, damn, I should have gone down the narrow path. Mm. But I was very adamant because I'm always very headstrong that I just didn't want to go down like just this little funnel of whatever you chosen specialty is. So I, uh, whether through luck or being stubborn or whatever, I always had or exposed myself to roles that were very uh, broad based. 
And then I also had a life outside of my work because it's very funny. I see a lot of like my wife's a physician, like physicians and other physicians, engineers and other engineers. Uh, I mean, look, real estate people, no other real estate people, right? For sure. It's very hard for us to have a very expanded social circle, right? Where you just know a wide variety of people. And again, that was one of the things I picked up from my parents or rather in our wider social circle was that we knew of substantial, uh, substantially different types of people. So if there was ever any issue, ever any problem, any, anytime you just kind of wonder if I say, you know, uh, my kid has this issue, you, you know, a doctor or somebody who knows a doctor, or I want to talk about this university, you, you would know somebody who could guide you. So that, that sort of way, right? So I had a very wide expansion of friends and that helped me get a lot of exposures, get uh, meet a very uh, interesting, diverse array of people. And that just kind of led me down these multiple paths where you could pick up a lot of things. And then when I moved to the US a couple of years ago, five, six, seven years ago, uh, my wife's a physician. I mean, she was my fiance at the time. Uh, we just realized that the amount of taxes we were paying were so high, relative, I mean, relative to what I had in my head at that time, that I was like, screw this, man. I don't got to pay everyone's tax. I mean, I understand why I got to pay taxes. I don't have to pay every single person's taxes in all of the United States of America. <laughs> uh, so... So again, with my family being in real estate, I had that exposure, like about write-offs and all of that sort of stuff. So I had that exposure. Personally speaking, I'd worked on investment banking, equity research, M&A, portfolio management. So I had the technical know-how. And now it was just about trying to marry the two and then developing my network and then going from there. Yeah, And, and even and again, I right now with real estate, sorry to interrupt, right now, even with the real estate, it's not like everybody says, well, I always wanted to be in real estate. I mean, I look at it as a means to an end. Does it get me to where I want to go? And hey, after that, we'll think about what happens. I tell you what, man, I couldn't agree more with that last comment. Um, I really love real estate, but at the end of the day, it's just a vehicle. It's just it's a, vehicle a vehicle towards creating yeah. an outcome that you want in your life. I yeah, mean, exactly. You know, I don't fall in love with bricks and sticks or leases or, you know, cash flow statements or even distributions. At the end of the day, it's about the outcome. It's not even about the money. It's about how is the strategy implement towards, you know, the grander scheme of everything. So I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think it's really interesting in terms of your, your entry to the business. It's, it's almost like you were just kind of following your nose, right? You're just like, look, I want a wide range array of experience, which then exposed you to an expanded circle of, you know, individuals and in your network. And you were sort of developing those uh, relationships. And then you're also saying, Hey, wait a minute, I'm paying a tremendous amount of taxes. Your wife was paying a tremendous amount of taxes based on her income. And I'm with you on that as well. I don't think it's patriotic to pay more taxes, by the way. I think the so IRS code, if, if it is, or it isn't, that's not my problem, man. I mean, if somebody has a problem with me not being patriotic, how about that's their problem? <laughs> there you they go. Can go to their home and bitch about me in their own home. <laughs> they can do whatever the hell they want in their own home. Okay, Omar, so this is why we're becoming great friends right now because I appreciate that so much. And, and, and it's so interesting because it's not about, look, who cares what you believe? If you believe a certain way, that's great. I think we should all have our own beliefs. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the tax code was written in a certain way for a reason, right? To incentivize growth. And I think it's important that we recognize that and act accordingly. So let's talk about your entry to real estate, because obviously that was one of the drivers. But tell me the other drivers in terms of getting you into real estate. Oh, no, that, that was the big, look, that was the big thing. But the other, the other thing wasn't necessarily, it wasn't, I got into real estate because of that, but that was just a wider thing that was in my head that I couldn't articulate and I can articulate it now. And, but that wasn't the reason why I got into real estate, but that was something that in the back of my head, I knew I wanted to do, but I couldn't really understand what it was. And the biggest thing was, look, growing up, I, 
had seen that my parents, as an example, attended all of the major events in my life, right? Whether it's school plays, parent-teacher meetings, you know, one parent being at home 99.9% of the time for all the major meals or for the major holidays, you know, and any of these sort of things, you know, attending graduation, these are small little things in isolation, but they're big things in totality, right? Sure. And I know everybody doesn't have the privilege or they're not as lucky enough to have these things, right? And again, this has nothing to do with, some of it's got to do a little bit with money, right? But the fact is that they had some level of time freedom. Yes. Right? That they could take the time to spend time with their kids. They could take the time to attend parent-teacher meetings. Look, frankly, if you're making minimum wage and your back's against the wall, man, it's it's impossible to attend a parent-teacher meeting. How are you going to do this? If it's a toss-up between attend a parent-teacher meeting or put food on the table. I mean- yeah. I mean, That's you go from survival. So it's like survival or, you know, obviously if you can't survive or you're barely surviving, there's nothing else like the Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs. Right. So go ahead. So, so that's why it looks so for me, one aspect of this also was time freedom. Like mm -hmm. how can I set myself to have some level of time freedom because time freedom just isn't an aspect of money. Cause I've seen it with all my bosses in investment banks, for instance, I still remember after one earning season, I was in equity research at the time and I was, we were up for, I was up for 36 hours straight because we just had a whole bunch of like companies releasing. Uh, I was covering a couple of companies that all released at the same time, their earnings. And again, it wasn't just me, other guys in the office were similar position. And once we got through this 36, 38 hour stretch uh, of just being up, like it's, it's not sleeping, not even for a second, it's just up, up, up working, right? We went down, it was like, I don't know, something like, it's some like weird time. It's like 9.30 a.m. in the morning, right? We went to the bar downstairs. Nobody goes to a bar, <laughs> right? But they were serving food and we just wanted to get food, right? Because we're done with this earning season. So. And I remember my MD at the time and had saying, you know, you guys did a great job. And he was talking to me. Obviously, I'm sure he said it to other guys as well. Hey, if you keep doing this, we're following you. You're on track to get a really nice bonus this year. You know, but if you do this, you can take the next step and become just like us. And I still distinctly remember thinking, I was like, dude, I would shoot myself in the head if I became like you, man. <laughs> I would much rather jump off a building and kill myself if I became, I didn't say that, obviously. I needed to get my bonus, right? Uh, but right. the fact is, I mean, they were making decent money in the grand scheme of things. It's making a couple million dollars a year. But I would never, ever, ever, ever want that guy's life or job. Right. Because he's basically a slave to the machine constantly. Mm. Right. I mean, he's working nonstop. He's 40 something, twice divorced, alcohol issues, because look, if you're working 16 hours a day, you're basic and you're basically, excuse my language. I don't know if I can use you're basically somebody's bitch for the rest of your life. I don't care how much money somebody gives you for sure. It's not worth the trade. Yeah. You're or, trading your life. I, yeah. Or my point is it's not like he was making $200 million a year, like some hedge fund guru. They're like, right. all right, you know what? I'll suck it up for two years. I make five, four or $500 million and I retire. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. a totally different thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. if you could sacrifice for a short period, but if you're sacrificing your whole life, I mean, yeah. what, there's no amount of money that's worth it. Look, dude, a million dollars cash is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but a million dollars cash doesn't necessarily make you financially free. Right. Ain't going to happen. Okay. Because if you got a million dollar salary, 30%, if you're an American, about 50% in Canada comes off the top. So now you got 
only 700 grand or 500 grand. Now, if you're in these professions, you're a high powered lawyer, investment banker, private equity guy, you also have to keep up with the Joneses because that's how you get paid. You have to live in a high quality neighborhood. You've got to attend all these social events that aren't cheap, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be in the right golf club. You got to attend the right clubs. Dude, you have a high burn rate. Huge, huge. You have a huge burn rate. So like the 50% of your remaining disposable income is on frou-frou stuff like attending a social gathering. Yeah. You have a high income, but you're not wealthy at all. I had, I mean, you might be, but your burn rate is phenomenally high. Yeah. And your, your burn rate, not only from a financial perspective, but then the requirement for you to just keep running faster on the treadmill. And you always have to be on. It's always on. It's always on. It's always on. Right. So that trade, it doesn't make any sense because look, even if you make a million dollars, that trade doesn't make sense. Now, if you make $40 million a year, then you end up spending, say, $5 million and you pocket, say, $15 million a year and you're not a cokehead, uh, yeah, that could work, right? In three years, that could work. But I know for a fact most of these MDs aren't making $40 million a year. Right, right. I mean, yeah, shit, Jamie Diamond made $20 million a year. And he's, I mean, he's as high as you're going to get. Okay? Mm-hmm. Guy, he's not poor. He's a billionaire now, right? It's a pretty smart guy. But salary and comp wise, now his investments are separate because he's a super brilliant guy. But salary wise, the guy made like $20, 22000000 million, maybe $30 million. Yeah. Okay? And Jamie Dimon is as high as you're possibly going to get, both in terms of intellect and in terms of uh, position, basically. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. So you recognize that you wanted time freedom because you saw what was the trade-off, right? And so then you said, look, real estate might be that avenue. Tell me a little bit about that. No, I felt like uh, I had a tax problem. So I had to solve that tax problem first. (laughs) Okay. And as you get into it, you realize, okay, there's other things also, right? For me, one of the other things was, I get, now I'm very lucky that I get to meet people from a very wide variety of backgrounds, right? As investors. So today I just actually talked to a VC who, who they, they, what they do is buy, uh, what was he explaining? Lower middle market SaaS companies, software as a service companies, right? Now that's a pretty interesting field. I would never in a million years have talked to this guy or, or know anything about his business. 
and now he's sending me his pitch deck. Cause I was like, Hey, you know, I know you, he's like, Hey, I admit your mailing list. I was like, yeah, but why don't you add me to yours? Cause I would love to know about your business as well. Yeah. Again, I can't do anything in that business because I don't know anything. Right. Right. But at least I can learn and be more aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the corollary effect apart from time freedom and tax benefits and money that you get to be exposed again to so many interesting people that as a person, I think you can develop over the longer term period if you so choose to do so. Yeah. Well, and it was like what you were talking about earlier. It's like the affluence wasn't necessarily just about money. It was about access to opportunities. So awareness time freedom. Opportunities first, yeah. awareness that things even exist. That's it. Yeah. Awareness. Yeah. So now you open the space to say, all right, well, let me learn more about this particular avenue, this particular investment, this particular industry that has nothing yeah. to do with what I do. And now I can learn, you know, which is obviously fun in and, in and of itself, but yeah. then it creates new opportunities. So that's amazing. Tell me about, obviously, like you're really dynamic as an investor, right? You, you've done a lot of things, you do a lot of different things, but tell me, what is your, what would you say is your main focus right now in terms of your real estate syndication company, Boardwalk Wealth? So look, a lot of this is the typical bread and butter has been this value, fa- value add multifamily. I'm doing some developments now as well. Uh, a from, look, A, because I have to branch out into multiple verticals, right? So that's that. And I've done these deals before with my own money or with a couple of investors' money. So it's not the first, our our first rodeo. We're just rolling it out now. Uh, So that's a big deal. But the other thing also is from time to time, I will roll like small amounts of my own money when I have money or time into like smaller niches just to kind of see how things happen. Now, Mm. I mean, as long as I break even, I'm good with it, right? It's not like I'm expecting to make a 10x return. But what that also helps is it just keeps me, it just keeps me not getting bored because otherwise, you know, at the end of the day, man, it's real estate, right? People make it sound like a big deal or you're doing God's work, but there is really only a couple of things. <laughs> I mean, you know this, you're on your own company. So this true. is real estate. There's only so many things you can do at a given moment in time. Yes. Right. It's not like Facebook or I don't know, Fox News or CNN, right? Where you pivot and you do this and you do that. It's nice living. It's a great living. I'm very grateful for it. But you're in a little sandbox. Mm-hmm. And it's great to be in a sandbox because sometimes less options makes your life easier, right? It's true. But also, I'm the type of guy, I just want to just know about things uh, or new things or new people. I'm always fascinated by, oh, wow, this person's really cool. They've got their shit together, right? Not because I'm going to do anything, just because it keeps me fresh. Is that what you thought when you met me originally? Yeah, just that's honest. exactly okay. what I thought. I, I was thinking, I was waiting for you to say it, but I just wanted to ask you. Just, no, I just wanted to subtly bring it into the conversation. Okay, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> okay, so doing some development now, obviously you do multifamily syndications across Georgia, Texas, Florida. And I like the thought of, look, I'm going to learn in some of these other asset classes to, to not get bored. I, I think that's a really insightful piece as well, because as you grow, it's like, let's not get bored because man, that boredom is the enemy to continued expansion. So talk to me, like one of the things I'm really curious about is like how you evaluate deals, right? Because you have a mind that has a lot of, you know, different experience and different background from different vantage points. But tell me, give me a perspective. Like when you're looking at a deal, whether it's development, whether it's acquisition or otherwise, whether it's in multifamily or otherwise, or even outside of real estate, give me a sense of how you're looking at a deal from a 50,000 foot view all the way down to the granular granular level to a yes or no decision. Could you give me a little insight? Well, it's just model driven. For me, it's all yeah. number one. So high level wise, if I didn't even have a model and I just had my models and I just had a pen and paper, Number one, it's our demographics, right? So 
I, I, for instance, never understood when people say, I'm going to put a granite countertop. I was like, yeah, but your renters are broke. <laughs> like, what's up, bro? Like, you can put all the money you want in this apartment, but if the guy who's paying you money doesn't have the money, why would you even spend a dime? Right. And it sounds pretty, like, obvious, but it isn't. And I'll give you a simple example. It's not in real estate. When I moved to Calgary from Toronto, like, a couple of years ago or whatever, it, like oil was at a high and you know when oil is at a high every single person who's in the oil industry thinks they're the next coming of jesus christ i'm not even <laughs> because everything is good because of me but if anything goes bad it's because of the market right right so i still remember i think it was a chairman of incana incana is a big canadian company they've they've now renamed themselves as equinor they've got a big presence in houston and it was really funny this is a juxtaposition i'm trying to explain to you on one side of the Calgary Herald in the business section was a little skinny column over here that said, and Canada's newest, biggest oil field, uh, they were missing projections because on every barrel, they were losing a dollar or two dollars, Canadian dollars, right? On every barrel they were producing, right? Whatever, shit happens, whatever. It just so happened on that exact same day, they on the same page where they have the skinny column that says, and Canada's losing a buck or two bucks or buck 50 on every barrel they're drilling. Right in the next, like, more wider column was a statement from Incana CEO saying, we're very excited to ramp up our production, and next year we're going to do one and a half times production. And I was like, bro, you're losing a buck a barrel. Yeah, so you're going to hey, amplify God's your losses? You want, yeah, I was like, dude, why the hell would you want to do more production? In case you want to shut the whole damn thing down. <laughs> Right. Like, I mean, you can't eat your fixed costs, but at least you can control your variable costs. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I was like, wow, you don't need to be like the CEO of Incana to know this. <laughs> you can just be a guy off the street like I am and know maths don't work like that. Right. And that's what happened. They, they, I mean, obviously, I'm oversimplifying the situation, but it's the exact same thing. In real estate, people think if I just throw dumb money into this property, magic is going to happen. Yeah. yeah the only way you're going to. The only way you're going to make sense of a deal like that is if funny money is supporting it, right? That's what one of my first mentors in real estate said. The only way you can make that deal work is if you got some funny money involved, which means subsidies and so forth. So you mentioned in terms of how you but look I'm at deals. buying market rate deals, right? So right. Yeah. So for me, this, 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 the whole, I don't want to get into the section eights and all that. No, and I'm with you. And, and so the first, the first step is obviously modeling and, and it starts before that. Demographics, basically. It's just demographics. 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 I'm only in a, like within like um, the Southeast, I'm only in a couple of sub markets within say, yep. Atlanta, within Jackson, within Orlando, within Tampa. I'm not in all of Atlanta. Right. There right. are wide swaths of Atlanta where I'm not saying I'm saying doing the right thing. There's only so many battles I can fight in a day. Right. right. So I'm only in a couple of sub markets. If it's outside of those sub markets, I don't care. I don't give a shit out with the deal. It's not so obviously problem. you've determined the sub markets. Right. And so now when you see a deal, I'm sure in many ways you're like, I can tell you in five minutes if the deal is going to make sense, I would imagine. Yeah. But tell me from 40,000, 30,000 foot view all the way down to the granular level, what's next for you in terms of how you assess the opportunity the next, and the what? The next thing, honestly, is vintage, right? I mean, if it's anything mid-70s, mid-80s and above, I can kind of figure it out, right? Number one. Number two, uh, in this context, what's happening is how much rent upside do I have potentially Mm -hmm. or not? But right now, at least in the markets I'm at, rent growth is phenomenal and through the roof. So you can't even look at a T12 rent roll. You can't look at the last 12 months worth of leases signed. Because right now, as an example, and I told you this before we started recording, we bought a deal in Orlando last month and through no brilliance of my own, 
I would like to take credit, but I can't. In within one month, we've raised market rents close to $200 and we've had zero pushback on the leases. People are like, all right, all right, this looks good. Now go. We haven't started even doing any of the substantial uh, value add work in terms of you know exteriors and all of that sort of stuff. So you can't say, hey, I improved the curb appeal and now people are paying me money. No, we haven't even started doing any of that stuff, right? Now, when we do that, we're going to jack up the rents a lot more. Like <laughs> in my Atlanta properties, we've kind of done some exterior work on the one we got in. Actually, we've done most of it for the one we got in January. But again, I'm getting like $400 more in rents. So if you were to tell me, could I underwrite $400? Yeah, I, I, I was never going to put that in an underwriting model because right. how the hell do you do that? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, even if you were going to take credit for that um, genius move, we wouldn't allow you to have it here. So uh, just so you know that. So obviously it's picking the right markets, right? It's picking the right markets. It's right some markets, right? And basically for yeah. me, it's demographics driven, median income and schools. If I can kind of nail that down, look, Rest of the stuff matters, but not really. Yeah. So tell me, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, where things are going, right? Obviously, yeah. we, we live in a rapidly changing global economy. All, all the different regions and local submarkets and so forth are continuing to evolve as well. And that will always be the case. But I'm just curious, man, if you, do you have any bold predictions on where this no, is going from a high level? Idea. I have no idea, man. <laughs> if I knew this, trust me, I would be so freaking rich. I probably might not be on this podcast. So what do you think about, I mean, wh where do you think things are going? Like inflation, you know, interest rates, uh, construction costs, labor, Dude, supply chain. I can chain. tell you this. I worked on the trading desk. I worked on sales and trading. I worked in investment banking. It's so freaking funny. All these clowns that come on podcasts and start prophesizing about where inflation rates are, where interest rates are. I was like, great. How about you show me your portfolio where you've actually done something to take advantage of this, right? Because why don't you put your money where your mouth is? For sure. Right? Because if you know, for, as an example, you and I both know, if we have, say, even an 80% certainty where interest rates are going, dude, I would not be in real estate. I would be trading <laughs> interest rate derivatives and make a ton more money, <laughs> right? It's not even close how much money you can make. If, if for instance, you do have a crystal ball that actually predicts what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. So it's very funny for me coming from the institutional world where people are paid to have an opinion, which is 99.9% of the time wrong. Right. Yeah. That I go on these podcasts and people who dude, they haven't even stepped inside a bank in all their life mm -hmm. suddenly are making predictions about the rate of inflation. And, oh, the Fed is doing this. And I was like, dude, do you even know how to spell the Federal Reserve Bank of New York? <laughs> like, do you know how to spell all these letters together in one like sentence? Do you know how to do that? Because I don't think you know. Nobody knows where this is going, man. Okay, now people can have an opinion on this, maybe, but you can't say with any level of certainty, like where substantially things are going, because if you could, you, would, you shouldn't be in real estate. You're in a poor man's game. There's mm. a way higher, richer man's game. And so in the, I'm not in that richer man's game yet. In the world of uncertainty, obviously real yeah. estate plays a great role, right? Yeah. I mean, is that, is, does that resonate with you? It almost seems like that's your thought process. What seems to me in the thought process is that I can only control the variables I can control. Yeah. Right? yeah. Right. So the variables that I can control are being in a business where I can somewhat control some level of volatility. But again, you also have to realize real estate is considered a cyclical industry. Sure. People seem to forget that real estate is very cyclical just because it's gone up in the past, whatever, seven, eight, 10 years. That's not always the case. I mean, yeah. it goes up and it goes down like every other industry. 
So all this talk I hear about, oh, real estate is super safe, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, no, not really. It's like any other business, you know? So you control the variables you can't control. In my case, look, for instance, I think the, the chances of the entire upper middle class of Atlanta going bankrupt at the exact same time is a very low probability event. Yes. Versus many other events that could happen before it, right? Yeah. So will I take that bet? Yeah, I kind of would take that bet, right? Will all of the upper middle class in Atlanta go broke at the same time? Chances are that's probably not. Probably not. Yeah. I think that's really important. That's a great distinction. I, I remember talking to Annie Duke, who is a uh, former world-class poker, you know, champion and so forth. I had her on the yeah, podcast. She wrote a really famous book or something, right? I have to yeah. read that book. I've heard a lot about her. It's called like, Thinking in Bets. Things. Yeah. Very think, positive things about her from it's very a many people. Phenomenal book, but I, I think about it all the time because at the end of the day, it does come down to probabilities, right? You've got to make yeah. bets. We don't, the world is not certain. It's not black and white. We don't live between the lines. Yeah. It, it's all blurry, right? And so thinking about this is very important. I, I think that distinction is probably the best distinction that we could have come to from that particular part of the conversation, because who knows where this is all going, but we've got to make bets, right? So tell me, what what has the role of your CFA played in your thinking in terms of how you look at things? Oh, it's just made me way more timid, man. I, I, <laughs> oh, really? I joke with a friend. I, I, it's very funny. I joke, a buddy of mine, he's an MBA and uh, he's in investment banking and I joke with him all the time. It's like... supposedly educated people, okay? Um, This is not like a judgment on anyone, right? (laughs) Like supposedly educated or credentialed people are too timid to make decisions and people who have no fucking idea, at least on paper, what's going on. On paper, doesn't mean in reality they don't have an idea. On paper, people who have no idea what's going on are the most vociferous forces saying, yes, this is going to happen. Go do it. (laughs) So it's really funny. So I think in the context of CFA, I, I don't necessarily think the technical aspects of these are important, at least for your real estate career, or they weren't, they aren't for me, at least. Nothing technically that I learned in the CFA was important. What I learned as a result of giving that exam and working 800 hours a week while I was giving that exam was uh, determination and persistence and grit and all of that sort of stuff, yeah. as opposed to, hey, I learned something in a book that I can now apply. Well, you've still taken action though with, you know, regardless of the analysis paralysis that you felt, right? You've grown your portfolio as a result anyway. Yeah. So tell me, I, I would imagine that there's a lot to do with your mindset. So what what type of yeah. mindset or, or what role has mindset played in your success? Look, I think mindset is very important, but you need, like it's, but I am also of the very opinion that, look, eventually at the highest possible level, like if you're in LeBron James's level, or like, you know, I don't know, Bill Gates level, right? Or so even a couple of levels before that. At a high level, mindset is everything. Yes. But people tend to, in my opinion, people tend to just focus on mindset at the expense of a lot of other foundational aspects. Mm. Because for instance, I could have the greatest mindset in the world. I'm not beating LeBron James in basketball. Right, right. Right? So there's a lot of other foundational aspects that go. And I think people latch on to concepts like mindset because- and these are low performers, right? Not high performers, because high performers have paid their dues, right? right. And low performers, they latch on to concepts like mindfulness and mindset because it's easy to say, hey, I'm just working on my mindset. But mindset in a wider way is a lot about knowing when to work hard and knowing when to work smart. Mm. And a lot of people forget about the working hard part because a lot of times it's just it's just expanding your capacity to do shit in the shortest possible time, but just keep taking abuse and just working towards the target day in and day out. 
So the only way for mindset to really amplify your performance is if you are a high or one of the highest performers is what you're and, saying. And you have the foundational pieces in, in yeah. or you work, or at least you're working towards putting the foundational pieces together. I've actually, I, I really appreciate this because not a lot of people talk about it this way. And so this is super insightful and, and I agree. What would you say are, you know, some examples of paying those dues? What would you say? Look, paying those dues, look, you take your profession as an example, right? I mean, when you started, I'm sure, like I didn't, like for instance, I'm sure the amount of investors you have now, or say uh, the amount of connections you have right now, you didn't have that when you got started. Right. Right. You, and you're still developing that. In 10, 10 years, you look at yourself now and be like, oh, whatever. I can yeah. like that. Right. right. So when you started off, you just had to take a lot of crap from a lot of people. That's but true. You just powered through that. Right. By the right or wrong, maybe you could have done. Now looking back, you could have you tell you could tell yourself, "Hey, I could have done that more efficiently," but you had to go through that inefficient path, the constant rejections or not trying to make things work or things not working to your advantage in the way you want them to work to get to now where you are. But if you hadn't gone through all of that and somebody just gave you the keys to a shortcut in the in that little time frame, it looks great. But then you're just setting yourself up for way bigger failures in the in the future. I agree because you have to have you have you kind of have to taste it that failure and the path about going down a wrong path and then coming back and then going down another wrong path and coming back until you don't do that you don't have pattern recognition right and you don't have pattern right a lot of life is just pattern recognition mm-hmm. right you've seen this pattern before just don't do it yes right man. And, that sort of thing, right? This is good. This is really good. I think hustle, right? You just have to hustle. You got to build, you got to yeah. get after it. You got to put in the legwork. You got to go through blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, yeah, I know that's a yeah, very yeah. overused phrase, but, but it's you important. You have to go through it. Right? You got to get knocked down yeah. many, many times. You got to have some sleepless nights maybe. And once you get through that, at that point, now we can apply some mindset. We can do some two millimeter shifts and then you can make massive leaps, right? Oh, so yeah. One of the things I, I wanted to also touch on with you before you move into the rapid fire section was routines, rituals. I mean, is there anything that's been really important for you as you've continued to compound on your own progress and, Look, and so forth? I have to get better at it, right? I'm going to be honest with you. Like I used to meditate on an awful lot more. I used to work out. I've kind of, I'm really sporadic now or not at all working out, not at all meditating. And I keep <laughs> telling myself I got to do it. I try to blame my kids because I got two young kids, right? I try, but that's not really the case. For me, I think the the one thing is that I'm very calendar driven, right? Mm-hmm. So in my initially, my wife used to make fun of me and my friends used to, and my some of my friends still, because these are some casual friends, they were friends, but now we're in our lives. So we don't maybe talk all the time, but we do yeah. talk a couple of times a year. And I'd be like, hey, just I'll send you a calendar invite. And some of them make fun of screaming calendar invite. I'm like, look, bro, you got to realize it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with me. Yes. Right? If you're not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Okay. It Same doesn't here. exist in my life. Yeah. I can't just randomly decide at 6 p.m. Hey, oh, we had a call schedule. I, I don't remember shit. I know. Same here. But right? Look, this is what David Allen taught me. My mind in our mind is not for holding ideas. It's for having them. Right. So use yeah. tools like that. Right. Yeah, no, but it's very funny. People say, oh, Cameron, right? Everybody used to make fun of me in my personal life, at least. I'm like, look, guys, I'm still going to use a calendar. 
So Omar, my wife and I literally put things on the calendar. Like we we have. Oh no, my, like, oh. my my wife. I've kind of forced her. My wife. My wife's very high performing, but everybody has a different way. Yeah. We've kind of come to a detente, right? And be like, <laughs> all right, look, you got to put it on the calendar. She yeah. Invite it, me to the event. Show. Yeah. Yes. I'm just not going to show up. I am going to. In fact, I am going to go out of my way to not show up. You're just training her. You're training her. That's yeah, so but funny. she's training me also in many ways. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, you need it. You need it. That's yeah. awesome. Omar, you're amazing, my friend. Uh, I want to get you into stand-up comedy at some point because, yeah. man, you would kill it. Uh, I would go see you. But, man, let's transition to the rapid-fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's yeah. about going through the hustle, man, the inefficiencies to get to a yeah. point where you can actually, you know, make some two millimeter shifts, apply some mindset, right? Because that, that was highly insightful, but man, I just really enjoyed our conversation. I want to talk to you about a few other things before we wrap today, before we get to part two, I'm sure we'll get to part two at some point. Uh, talk to me. What's the, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Look, I don't know. I love reading books. So like, for instance, I would like to say I only read really nice, substantial books. But right now, because I'm a big professional wrestling fan, I love professional wrestling. So I'm, re- I don't know if you see this. This is Eric Bischoff's book called Controversy Creates Cash. I don't know if you know who Eric Bischoff is. Do you know who no, Eric Bischoff is? I don't know. Okay. He was a general manager of WCW when they took on WWE in the mid 90s. It was called the Monday Night Wars. Again, I only realized when I moved to the U.S. that professional wrestling is considered a completely redneck thing. (laughs) I did not know that at all because, my God, I love professional wrestling, right? So I'll read everything from, what is it? I'm reading this book on David Swenson. What is this? Pioneering. Uh, David Swenson was the guy who was basically the head of the endowment at Yale University. So that was called Pioneering, what was it? Pioneering Portfolio Management, right? Pioneering Portfolio Management. Some of this is because of the CFA, because CFA Mm -hmm. is all portfolio management. But David Swenson, he died, like I think, this year, right? David Swenson had a very storied career, right? And he was, again, it's not like he introduced one concept, but it was the way he presented things, right? And this performance. But I also read really trashy shit like Monday Night Wars. Controversy <laughs> creates cash. So for me, books are an outlet. So one yeah. book, I'd be hard for me to say one book because books for me are an outlet. And just reading about different things, oftentimes in other people's profession, helps me in just looking at things from a different perspective. For sure. I'm with you too. Books are definitely, that's a great like, But I'll tell you like- what, this book, Controversy Creates Cash, Eric Bischoff's book, the one thing he said is the only way they supplanted WWE, even though WWE was the industry behemoth and people laugh at this, is because they did something so dramatically different in their marketing that people were forced to take notice. And every single time they went on the back foot, they had, like, there was no back foot. There was only a front foot. Mm. And, and he says this, you can't play when you're in a super competitive field, you can't be playing on the back foot. Mm, that's good. Even if you are defensive, you can't be defensive. You have to be offensive. Omar, I'm not going to lie. First of all, I would have never pegged you as a uh, wrestling fan. Second really? of all, I would have never pegged a wrestling book like that to have that type of deep wisdom. I think that's that's awesome, man. I'll have to pick it up. We'll put a link in the no, show it's notes. It's a major business, man. Yeah. Vince McMahon is like $4 billion or something like that. I love it. It's a substantial business is what I'm trying to say. I love it. Omar, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Oh, uh, yeah. Like I told you, those, those, um, I think for me, I'm a creature of habit. So the, I, I am not elevating myself in the right way right now. I have to basically start working out, start eating better and all of that sort of stuff. And then I think it won't be one big thing. It'd just be a series of very small things that will elevate me, my mood, my personality, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? 
Oh, I don't know about that. I, I think I'm very persistent and I'm very direct. So uh, I can only talk about people that I work with. So over a period of time, while I've learned from them, I've also told them, hey, you have to be extremely direct like when you're when you're working with people, but you also have to use extremely easy words that have, leave no room for, does he mean this or does he mean that? Right, right. Right, that's the only thing, the way I think I elevate people. Oh, you're honest, you're honest, you're yeah. direct. Um, but I think yeah. you push people, I would imagine you push people to be the best that they can be. And sometimes that's tough love, right? Sometimes people need somebody to be yeah. direct and somebody to be intense. And uh, man, Omar, I just appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you very much. Thank it's been a fun conversa conversation. And uh, man, there's so much more, I'm sure that we could continue to go down. So I'll look forward to part two. But until that time, man, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like no, to share with Elevate No, parting thoughts and words of wisdom was this great quote I read like not too long ago. The graveyard is filled with important people or supposedly important people. So don't think you're that important because nobody's irreplaceable. Boom. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Thank yeah, you for yeah. that reminder. That hit me right between the eyes, man. I, I appreciate that. Uh, tell the listeners that they can learn more about you and what you do. I think boardwalkwealth.com. Where else? Yeah. Boardwalkwealth.com. You can go to our website. I think it's on the, it's like, when you go to our website, it's on the right side. It'll be a little box that says name, email, how you heard about us. If you add that, you'll get an email, verify your link. So Google knows I'm not spamming you. You'll be added to our distribution list. You can also email me omar, O-M-A-R at boardwalkwealth.com. And I'll be happy to assist you in any way that I can. Yeah, we'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find Omar, where you can find Boardwalk Wealth. Of course, we'll also put a link in the show notes as to where you can find Omar on LinkedIn. And you want to go check out uh, his website because you can join his mailing list for free and you can get those bi-monthly takes on the market. And I have huh. to tell you that uh, Omar's emails are hilarious and insightful. So if you think he's funny here, be ready to get entertained from the email list as well. But man, Omar, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show today, my friend. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, my friend. Elevate Nation, what a phenomenal show with the great Omar Khan. If you laughed, uh, just you know, pat yourself in the back. If you didn't, uh, maybe he offended you. I don't know. Uh, Omar is a unique individual. He is one of a kind, that is for sure. And I look forward to the next time we have Omar on the show. Uh, he has forgotten more than many investors or business people know. And so I think that it's very important to recognize what gift we just received by having that conversation with Omar Khan. And I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope that you gained value. I want to encourage you to identify what is your number one takeaway? What is the number one distinction that you received from today's show? And jot that down, add that to your notebook, add that to your iPhone notes pad or your phone note app, wherever you are, whether you use Evernote or whatever, make sure that you capture that takeaway. If you want to be an overachiever, go to three. What are your top three takeaways from the show? And share those with someone that you care about. Share those with someone that you have just met. Maybe share this with someone that you work with or that you'd like to work with. Maybe it's a family member. Share this episode and tell them what were your takeaways and ask them to share with you what are their takeaways or what's their number one takeaway. Because at the end of the day, when we share with others, we also learn as well. And we can also invest in someone else by providing value. And I want to encourage you, most importantly, to re-listen to the show, but then take massive action. At the end of the day, action is what really leads to future results. If you learn something today, the only way to crystallize that learning is to take massive action and put it into your own reality. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. 
If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.